podcast from Hope Church RBA. I'm Rachel Dawson, and I am part of the communications team here at Hope, and I'm joined today by our senior pastor, David Dwight. We are here to have a conversation about some common questions in life and faith in under 30 minutes, and today is appropriate for the season that we're in. We're talking about what does it mean to celebrate Christmas? Um, And how do we really do that? So I know here at our church, we've been in an Advent sermon series. So these couple of weeks leading up to December 25th and Christmas, we've been kind of preparing for what Christians celebrate is the arrival of Christ. Um, David, I would love for you to explain more about how it looks to celebrate Christmas. What does that mean? I think it could be something that we just kind of take for granted as a, you know, regular thing that happens every December. But what does it mean to truly celebrate Christmas and be mm. from a, a deeper place or a truer place or a place of rich faith. Yeah. Christmas to me is a holiday that I really love. A lot of people around Hope have sort of heard me say that at different times. And there's a lot of sentiment around Christmas time. And I'm like all in. I mean, <laughs> all the goodwill and the, you know, the peace on earth, goodwill toward men and sort of the cheerfulness and all of that. Now, with that, is probably another side of the coin. For many people, it's a hard time of year. Mm. And we can talk about uh, reasons that that may be so. What, is it, what does it mean to celebrate Christmas? And you, know, you had mentioned that we're in this Advent series. We're calling the series this year Songs of the Season. Mm-hmm. And we're connecting this with the songs that we see in the Gospels that are from the hearts of people mm-hmm. that God used in beautiful and instrumental ways to be part of the birth of Christ. Mm. So the songs, just repeating what they are, uh, Elizabeth's song, Mary's song, Zechariah's song, the angel's song, and then Simeon's song. Mm -hmm. These are people who spontaneously, uh, it would appear, out of what wells up from within them, Mm -hmm. make these declarations. And uh, I doubt there was music to them at the time, but... Mm -hmm. They're like poems or psalms and songs. They are indeed songs that are celebrating the arrival and the birth of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So effectively, I think from a Christian standpoint, what we're doing is we are celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ Um, from different perspectives, of course, different cultures, all kinds of stuff like, oh, how do they celebrate Christmas in Germany? How do you celebrate Mm -hmm. Christmas in Africa? How do you celebrate Christmas in Brazil and all that? And that varies from culture to culture. Um, from a secular standpoint, you know, there's all the shopping and the buying and all mm-hmm. of the stockings and Santa and all that sort of stuff. So we're kind of just maybe covering all the range. But from a Christian standpoint, what does it really mean? Um, this, I think, does mesh the theological and the personal which then has its own beauty because in many respects, that's exactly what Christmas is about. Mm, It's the intersection of the theological and the personal. Mm -hmm. Um, The personal, yes. Uh, The deep longings that we have as human beings, um, the emotional longings and desires, the intellectual desires that we have, such as, um, can somebody give us assurance that we're not alone? Yeah. That we don't live in, you know, the circumstances of life, the hardships of life, the pain in the world, and nobody's doing anything about it. Nothing effective is happening about it. Mm-hmm. God's distant, quiet, and has no engagement. 
Um, Christmas says God is engaged. God does know. Mm -hmm. God didn't create the earth and send it off into the cosmos and say, good luck. Right. God created the earth. The Bible tells us it was good. Mm -hmm. He loves uh, what he's made, particularly human beings. And so quite the contrary, rather than, let's say, spinning it off into the cosmos and saying good luck, he has created it from the love of his heart, and he has expressed that covenantal love. Mm -hmm. And we see in the birth of Christ that God says, I'm here, I'm aware, I care, and I'm redeeming it. Hmm. That's really significant. Yeah. Um, Then I think we get to some other things like Advent. Mm -hmm. Some folks have heard me talking recently uh, about an author named Fleming Rutledge, and she is a woman who's a minister in the Episcopal Church, and she is what I would call sort of a serious Christian thinker, at least by my reading. Uh, from what I can tell, she's raised in the Northeast, and um, you know, she, from a person who grew up in the Northeast, like I think of a lot of people I know like this, um, it's not, if I could say it, sort of sweet Southern charm. Mm. It's pretty straightforward, sober-minded uh intellectual engagement with Christian thinking and theology. Mm. So I find her stuff very meaty and very engaging. She's written a book called Advent. It's not easy reading. You got to sort of stay with it. Mm -hmm. But she is really emphasizing that Advent, of course, is the season of waiting and anticipating. So we start Advent in the church the Sunday after Thanksgiving. That's the way we would measure it in the U.S., right, because of the Thanksgiving holiday. And we're building week by week by week leading up to the birth of Christ. Mm -hmm. The building, building, building each week is intended to emphasize our waiting Mm -hmm. for God. And this biblical idea of waiting is a huge idea. In her book, she emphasizes that Americans don't like waiting. We're not good at it. Um, We will do most things we can to avoid it or get it out of our lives. She says, including use our power and position to convince ourselves that if God's not going to bring the kingdom, we'll bring it ourselves, Mm. is one of her phrases. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that means all kinds of forced plastic versions of God's kingdom because we just can't wait for the full redemptive work that he's going to do. Advent is this time of waiting. She connects Advent now in the church and says, now that Christ has come, and after he's, resurre- he's been resurrected, he has made it clear that he will come again. Mm-hmm. So she emphasizes in her book on Advent the idea that the church is now waiting for Christ to come again. Mm. What I find interesting, I'm just going to say it because it's basically what she says. She's an Episcopalian woman from the Northeast, and she, this book on Advent is a lot of her sermons on it. And she basically says in one of the sermons, Focusing on the second coming, like, really? Like, we're Episcopalians. We're like educated people. You know, that's for like fundamentalists from the Bible Belt. (laughs) And she said, um, and we're missing out. Mm. This is a very significant, very clearly described New Testament event. And it's very clear in the New Testament that the church is waiting for the return of Jesus. Mm. What are we doing while we're waiting Effectively, she would say, we are manifesting to the very best of our ability 
those things that express the character and the love of God's kingdom while we anticipate his kingdom to fully come. Hmm. But she's really big on this idea of anticipating the second coming of Christ. Hmm. Honestly, I would say in my own personal life and even theological perspective, I don't think I've paid too much attention, not a lot of energy, intellectual or otherwise, on the return of Christ. Hmm. And uh, I think she's gotten my attention about this, as well as a few other streams and theologians that I've read. The whole idea of being waiting. Mm-hmm. We're not good at waiting, and Advent is a season of waiting. Waiting, I think, brings with it longing. Yeah. And so we've been emphasizing this with like a lot of the Christmas songs. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites, I had lunch today uh, with somebody who mentioned this. Two Sundays ago, I took a big risk. It felt like a big risk to me. Opened the series, the songs of the season, and I ended the prayer by singing the opening lines of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I got texts from two people who said they appreciated the sermon, but when that singing came completely by surprise, they both found themselves completely overwhelmed and crying uncontrollably. And they were sort of expressing this to me like, like, I don't know what happened. Yeah. So I had lunch with one of those two people today. Mm -hmm. And I said, to the best of your ability, tell me what happened. Yeah. He said, first of all, it's one of my favorite songs. Mm -hmm. Two, this is a person who's battling a serious illness. So Mm -hmm. the longing and all that comes with it is quite significant. Mm -hmm. Thirdly, he said, it came completely unexpected. He's like, David, every Sunday you finish a sermon, you say, let's pray. And then you come with uh, words of a prayer. And this time you said, let's pray, and you paused, and then you sang. He said, completely unexpected. And he said, I love music. A completely unfiltered version of music is a voice and nothing else. Yeah, which is what so, it was, yeah. Yeah, so he just said he was he was pretty overwhelmed by it. Let's just say the words for people who are listening. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, who mourns, mourns Mm -hmm. in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. When you say the words and you don't have the music, right, you hear them differently. Mm -hmm. It's more like a poem that you read and you glean more fullness out of the words. So I think what we're doing is we're combining human longing and emotion Mm -hmm. Meeting God personally, he became a human being. And we're also having a theological affirmation of the emotional hopes that we Mm -hmm. have. It's like two wires that come together and create a a spark, Mm -hmm. right? The whole idea of the incarnation, this that's a huge like Christian doctrine that Jesus Christ, God became man, put flesh on and came and lived a human life. That's even maybe another topic. But celebrating Christmas, I think it's about this longing, this emotional, personal expression with God meeting us in a true, personal, and theological answer. Wow, that's beautiful. As you were talking about waiting and this idea that I think even as Americans, we're 
pretty, um, adverse to waiting and to waiting. Well, that's not something in our kind of instant gratification culture. We get a whole lot of what popped into my mind was advent calendars. Right. And how, and honestly, at first was kind of like, I was chuckling to myself thinking like, we're, we're so bad at even waiting for like the gifts of Christmas that we have to give ourselves like 25 little gifts (laughs) so so we can wait for the big gifts. It's kind of funny, but as you kept talking, I, my brain kind of went to this place of thinking like, there's actually some kind of way that if you could turn that a little bit, that there's actually something kind of beautiful as we're now people who know what the end looks like and are waiting for now the second coming and this return of the King that, wow, we, that feels like the ultimate gift, right? The ultimate kind of celebratory victory, um, really the grand finale, not finale is not really the right word, but this consummation, yeah, the real kind of big event and it's cool to think about what if we as believers, um, as we're kind of moving toward that greatest gift can be kind of giving these little gifts and these little tastes of what that ultimately will be. Mm. Cause isn't that what an advent calendar is, right? These like tiny tastes of getting you moving you toward the ultimate kind of big feast at the end. And I'm just kind of struck by like, wait, there's actually something beautiful about the fact that we as waiting people, as we're kind of in this, um, you know, season of advent, both waiting for the, coming of Christ that we'll celebrate, but then ultimately, like you said, the return of the King, can we be people who, I don't know, give those, live our lives in a way that we're giving and having other people help experience, um, taste of that along the way. I don't know. I'm just kind of yeah. swirling that thought around in my mind right now. For some reason, a phrase that's coming to my mind is, uh, we are waiting people giving whispers of hope. Mm, yeah. Like, this full redemption is coming. Yeah. It's coming. Uh, don't be afraid. This full redemption is coming. So two other thoughts that come out of my engagement with Fleming Rutledge. One of them is this idea that um, while we're waiting, uh, we have to address the darkness and the hardship and the pain in the world. Mm-hmm. And she uses a phrase and I'll just kind of say it because, you know, people have different responses to this kind of stuff. But Fleming Rutledge is an Episcopalian woman. Oftentimes, Episcopalians uh, are, from a demographic standpoint, identified as wealthier people. Um, she's speaking in one of these sermons uh, in a church in the suburbs of New York City, uh, demographics of which would generally represent a wealthier population. And she says, you know, if you were raised in prosperity, most people were sort of given this picture by their parents and their family culture that life is beautiful, kind of all things bright and beautiful. Even little things like, you know, the world is your oyster. You can accomplish what you want. Mm -hmm. If you can dream it, you can do it. Many, many thoughts, which have real value to them, although some of them are not true, which is hard to say. Um, the statement, if you can dream it, you can do it, is not true. It's emotionally encouraging and it's motivating. So it has value. Sure. But on its face, it does not hold up. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what she says is um, many have been raised with the perspective of life that it's all things bright and beautiful, like it's all cheery and happy. However, she says about 80% of the world's population live in poverty and misery. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have to pay attention to and take seriously the reality of the larger landscape. Yeah. 
So she uses a phrase, and it's funny. I feel like I'm having to like explain and apologize. <laughs> it wasn't me who wrote it. It's she who wrote it. But she says, um, many people have been raised with all things bright and beautiful. The fact of the matter is the story of the world is much closer to all things negative and nihilistic. Okay, now you say that, and I imagine people are like, whoa, that feels really heavy. Okay, we'll take the emotional stuff out of it. She's right. Mm. About 80% of the world lives in poverty and pain and difficulty and hardship. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, some people are going to say, oh my gosh, it's so pessimistic. You're poking a hole in my sort of dreamy balloon. Well, her point is, unless we're honest about the darkness, then there isn't a lot of meaning to the hope for Christ's redemption. If you don't have a sense of the need for the Redeemer, if you don't feel the weight of the darkness, then you don't have that much uh, emotional motivation Mm -hmm. connecting to the longing Mm -hmm. that is this waiting that Christmas represents. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to try to see if I can explain um, this one thought. I said it on Sunday, and I have a feeling it didn't work. I'm just honest. Sometimes as a, as a preacher, you say something and you think, I don't think that worked. But I think it's important enough that I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to bring it out again. No, I'm curious. All right. So, you know, sometimes sermons provide comfort. Sometimes they provide assurance, sometimes confirmation. Sometimes I think sermons are to stretch people, mm-hmm. stretch their understanding of things. Yeah. I think this is kind of a stretch thought, but I think it's a very important thought. So Fleming Rutledge, uh, once Mary knows she's pregnant, she's waiting for Jesus to come, mm-hmm. right? Okay, it's a pregnancy metaphor. Mm-hmm. Once she's pregnant, she's waiting for the arrival of Christ, okay? She then goes on to suggest, now that Christ has been resurrected and he has promised his return, the church, which the Bible describes as the bride of Christ— is now waiting for the arrival of Christ in his second coming. Hmm. The concept, and here's where it's a little challenging, but I think if people can grasp it, there's beauty to it. Just as Mary was pregnant, anticipating the birth of Christ, the church is now pregnant, anticipating Hmm. the full coming of Christ, Hmm. the return of Jesus. Okay, now I think for a lot of people hearing this phrase, the church is now pregnant, is going to throw them way off. But mm-hmm. let's let's talk about it for a minute. It's a metaphor, right? What she's trying to say is the church are those people who know the reality of Christ within them. Mm-hmm. And because we know the reality of Christ within us, it's like Mary in her pregnancy, knowing the reality of Christ in her, before anybody else in the world knew of this Jesus coming. Right. So she has this thing within her that she knows, and she's been given word from heaven and from the angels about who this is mm-hmm. and the magnitude of what this birth is all about. But not many people are going to understand this. They don't have the experience that she has. Mm-hmm. She has Christ emerging mm-hmm. within her as she prepares for his arrival. Once Jesus is resurrected and the Holy Spirit is on the move and the church really is ignited, the church now, spiritually speaking, are those people who have Christ within them. And like a pregnant woman, to use the metaphor, 
anticipate this full arrival, the mm-hmm. full delivery, mm-hmm. who Fleming Rutledge is keen to say is this is the return of Christ, the full consummation. Mm. So let me just ask you, because I think we're going to have to talk about it for a moment. Mm-hmm. This idea, the church is pregnant. This mm-hmm. is a spiritual metaphor. Anticipating the full coming of Christ. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that do for you? Yeah, I think... I mean, obviously, when I hear that, I think about people I've known who have been pregnant, friends who I've kind of journeyed that um, alongside. And I think there's a lot to me that feels um, it clicks into place in my mind and my heart that there's a there is there's a there's a joy. There's this kind of there's an excitement. There's a flurry. There's also there's things that I know, like I've seen my friends like they can they're treasuring. I, I love that way that scripture talks about Mary kind of treasuring these things in her heart, knowing what's coming. But can't fully express it, but feeling it. And there has, I just can imagine there's something that is visible about that to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, the preparing, the creating room for, the designing of a nursery, like the creating space for, the way that you kind of start to shift and alter your life to make room and space for this change, this new addition. It just feels like there's a lot in that to me that I, like, am, you know, can we live our lives in that similar way where, mm-hmm. you know, even when I've had friends who's the baby's kicking and there's such an excitement, like, Oh, feel this, come ex- see, come experience mm-hmm. what I'm experiencing. This thing mm-hmm. is, it's not quite there yet, but it's exciting now. And can you be with me in that? Um, right. Obviously I think the, the fact of the matter that there's pain and tension and kind of unresolved things that are uncomfortable about the waiting and the yeah. growing and stretching to in, kind of have room for all that will be and all that will come. Yeah. I feel like there's so many layers in my mind that are like, yeah, yeah, I that makes sense. I I've never been pregnant, but I've seen friends who have been and I yeah. so much of that relates and feels um meaningful to me and I think I think it's so often we can get distracted or not quite see the bigger picture thinking about the second coming of Christ, even you're kind of saying, I haven't probably spent as much time thinking about that as I could. It can feel like a kind of a distant um, reality or just something we're not, we don't have to engage with necessarily every day, right. but to think about pregnancy really puts it in perspective of there's, there's an active component to that. Um, things are changing and developing and happening and there, there will be a day where this, this season will, will come to an end and, yeah. and a beautiful end with a new life yeah. at the end. That's a really cool picture to me. So just using the metaphor and I'm probably over explaining it because I'm concerned some people will find it hard to do this metaphorical leap and men will find it hard to grasp the idea that if a man is a believer, right, he's pregnant with Christ. But I, I think you can do it, right? It's a, it's a metaphor. Take it as a metaphor. Um, interestingly too, as you're speaking about this and talking about friends, you know, who've been pregnant and so on, you know, a lot of times you hear people say, oh, she has this glow about her, which is pretty interesting. How about that? What if those Christians, Mm -hmm. they have this glow about them? Yeah. Why? Because they have Christ within them and they know that he's coming in fullness. Yeah. And in a sense, while we have Christ within us mm-hmm. and while we hopefully have this glow that would be really flattering i'm not sure that that's always going to be a true description so that's something for us to think about <laughs> but um part of what we're doing too is we're trying to tell the whole world about the goodness of what's coming and and uh to to be ready uh emotionally and at the level of heart and faith mm-hmm. and goodness and anticipation and hope 
like what what we're doing then quote pregnant the church being pregnant with Jesus anticipating his full coming is one doing those things that are markers of his kingdom and his character mm-hmm. uh, and two uh, so to speak we're full of such joy that we want to tell the whole world about it and then help the whole world have an opportunity to uh, by faith become participants in this joy as well mm. so um Christmas, Mm -hmm. I mentioned that I love Easter music too. Easter music is victorious. Christmas music is hopeful. Mm -hmm. And we, I think, are desperate for hope. We're just desperate for hope. And so Christmas now becomes such an extraordinary gift. And I thought to myself the other day, I was doing a little Christmas decorating around the house. Mm -hmm. Okay, this will sound weird, but I thought to myself, um, and you're a single person, but I thought, okay, let's say I'm a, let's say it's some t- long time down the road, right? I'm an old guy and I happen to be single. I'm like, would you still decorate for Christmas? And I thought, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. you got to. Mm-hmm. Um, I know some people would say, but it's a sad time or it's a hard time. And I'm very sympathetic with that. But ultimately the reason I would decorate for Christmas, even if it was a sad time is because this is where my hope is projected. Yeah. I love the line every Christmas, um, a thrill of hope, weary world rejoices. Um, it feels like one of those beacons for me of light that even when the seasons are hard and even when the waiting feels long and arduous and like, I don't know, um, how much longer this journey will go on that, that line to me encapsulates so much of what, the birth of Christ means that it truly in a weary world, um, there is rejoicing because this thrill of hope, this, um, this baby born in the story that we all know so well, um, is truly a victory, um, full of hope. So I love that. Yeah. And, and so much to me, it just means something this simple, but this powerful. We're not alone. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Oh, thank you all so much for listening in today. If you want to subscribe to the Hopecast or share this episode with a friend, you can find out everything at hopechurchrva.com. dot